Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Very good. For those of you who are new here or might be guests with us here at Life Church Buffalo, my name is Pete. I'm the co-pastor here, and I just want to say how glad I am that amidst the hustle and bustle of this crazy, busy season, you've decided to come and spend and celebrate some of your Christmas weekend here with us. You know, it's, um, I hope you've all enjoyed the experience with us so far here today, and the, the music is not done. The band's going to come back in just a little while, but before they come, I just want to get started by asking you guys a couple of questions. First of all, how many of you guys have all of your Christmas shopping done so far? Raise your hands. I don't know if I can see in the dark. Yeah, it looks like a majority of you. Maybe a better question is, who doesn't yet have their shopping done? Oh, okay. So I guess I know where uh, you guys are going to be after the experience is done, or maybe better yet, on Christmas Eve tomorrow, trying to brave the crowds. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have all of your wrapping done of those gifts? Oh, not quite as many people. Okay. So I guess the ones that didn't raise their hands are the ones that stay up to like two and three o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve trying to get it all done, right? I can relate. I can identify. That was us for many years until my wife got wise and realized that Christmas morning is much more enjoyable when we're rested. Okay. And so, you know, a couple years back, she started wrapping all of our presents, you know, the week before. So we're all set. We're done wrapping our gifts, all except for the gifts I got her, of course. Uh, I'm going to have to wrap those tomorrow night still. They say that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. At least it's supposed to be. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys can relate with me on this, but I find that the older I get, um, the less magical Christmas seems to be. I don't know if there's anybody else here that kind of identifies with that, but you could say that I've sort of lost the wonder of Christmas a little bit. And I'm not sure when it started, because when I was a kid, it was magical. I was all about Christmas. I loved it. It was the best time of the year. Like so many other kids, I would have, you know, that chain of alternating red and green construction rings that construction paper that you would tear one off of every day on your countdown of days to Christmas. You know, I loved baking Christmas cookies with my mom and my siblings. And I don't know what you guys baked in your house, but every year there were always three cookies that my mom would make sure we made. And that was cutouts, that was Mexican wedding cakes, and that was thumbprints. All right, I don't know what you guys baked in your house, but we always baked at least, at least those three. And while we were baking together, we would always listen to our favorite Christmas album, which was Come On, Ring Those Bells by Evie. Not many people here I see can recognize that one. That's kind of an old one from back in the 70s, an obscure Christmas album from a gospel recording artist. But I could literally sing every word to every song on that record if we were to play it for you right now, but I will spare you the horror of that. You know, I also would, um, it was just, it was magical time. On Christmas Eve, you know, that, that, um, that movie uh, Christmas Story, where Ralphie can't fall asleep on Christmas Eve because he's just excited for the next morning. And that was me. I couldn't, I couldn't quite get myself to calm down to fall asleep because I couldn't wait to see what I was going to find under the Christmas tree the next morning. But then, no matter how late I finally fell asleep, no matter how late I was up Christmas Eve, my eyes would pop up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, no matter what. And I'd run and wake up my siblings, and together we would run into mom and dad's room and jump on the bed, say, mom and dad, it's Christmas, wake up. 
can we open our presents now? And mom and dad would groggily kind of be like, oh, let me get some coffee on first before we start opening presents. Yes, some takes two hours for them to wake up. So while mom and dad were dragging themselves out of bed and getting the coffee ready, uh, because they're trying to wake up because they were up till three o'clock in the morning wrapping all of our gifts, all of us kids would be kind of hovering around all the presents around the tree and, you know, we'd be ooing and eyeing over all the presents and picking each one up and shaking it to try to, you know, guess what it was. And of course, we had to count how many presents each one of us had because we had to make sure that we all had the same number of gifts. If you had siblings, you can relate and identify with that. And then when, after what seemed like an eternity, which is probably only about 15 minutes, half hour, um, I don't know if it takes two hours to make a pot of coffee. I don't know what's going on there. But my mom and dad would finally enter the living room and sit down. And just when we thought it was time to start tearing into the wrapping paper and revealing the treasures that were hiding beneath, my dad would grab his Bible. And every year it was the same. Before we were allowed to open our presents, my dad would open his Bible and read the verses that I'm about to read to you. And unquestionably, (laughs) this was the most painful part of Christmas Day (laughs) as a kid. It was torture. We were sitting there next to the presents that we had been waiting all year for. And my dad would open his Bible and say, first, we're going to read the Christmas story. Now, you don't understand. My dad didn't just read the story really quickly and then move on. He didn't read the story maybe like your dad or your grandma did. My dad would read every word so deliberately and so dramatically and so carefully and so torturing. It was horrible, okay? And he didn't just read a couple of verses either. I remember he'd pull out this card that he had gotten from one of the churches we used to attend, and it was a card intended for larger families or families with a lot of kids, and it would, you know, break up the Christmas story and assign a portion of it to each member of the family. And so me and my three siblings would all be assigned a part of the story to read, and we were all kids, and we didn't read that well yet, and so it took forever to get to the point where we could finally open up our presents. You know, and then it was the post comments. After reading the story, my dad would say, okay, kids, we're about to open gifts, and inside we'd be like, you know, dad, is that ever really going to (laughs) happen? We're about to open gifts, but I I want you to remember that Jesus is the ultimate gift, okay? And we learned that if we weren't paying attention, okay, my dad would just keep repeating it until he knew that we got it, all right? So I learned that the right way to respond was to basically look really intently at him and say, yeah, dad, that's good. Jesus is the the ultimate gift. Because if we were looking around or looking at our presents, he would just say, guys, are you getting it here? It's not about the gifts. Christmas isn't about the gifts. Jesus is the ultimate gift. Jesus is the reason for the season, right? So they say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I have two children of my own now. And I have literally become my father. (laughs) Every Christmas, it's the same. And in two days from now, I'm going to pull Sammy and Isaac towards me, and I'm going to read them the story. And I'm going to say after we're done, you know, We're about to open gifts, and I'm sure they're going to think just like I thought as a kid, Dad, is that ever really going to happen? And I'm going to say, but I want to remind you that Jesus 
is the ultimate gift. And then we will sing happy birthday to Jesus, and then we will open our presents. So we're going to read the story of Christmas here tonight really quickly and then share a few thoughts with you about that. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, the words will be on the screen for you. Luke, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, in a feeding trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They went all around and told everyone what had happened. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All who heard it wondered. You know, this isn't a questioning kind of wonder here. This isn't like, oh, I wonder if we went over our limit on the credit card with all the Christmas shopping that we did. It's not that kind of a wonder. This is an amazement kind of wonder. In fact, some translations actually use the word astonished or amazed. And that is why we've titled our experience tonight, Relive the Wonder. Because there is a wonder to this story, but I think many of us, if we're honest, have as I've shared, lost some of the wonder of the story of Christmas. Why did my dad feel so compelled to share that story with us year after year? And why do I now feel so compelled to put my kids through the same torture with the same long dissertation every year? Because if we're honest, as I said, it's easy to lose sight of the story of Christmas. It has become something else entirely. In our fast-paced, busy, modern lives, It's easy to lose the wonder of the greatest event in all of human history, the event that divided our calendar into B.C. and A.D. Santa is cute and fun. All the cookies and gingerbread houses and shopping and caroling and everything else associated with Christmas. It's important, I think, to stop for a minute and ask ourselves the question, what is the story of Christmas? And is it possible to recapture it if we've lost it, to relive the wonder that we once had when we first heard the story. 
I actually think it is possible to recapture it. But I think it's important first to ask yourself when you lost it. You know, as I ask myself that question, my mind kind of wandered back to a time when I was about eight or nine years old, if I remember correctly. My brother and I, was a couple days before Christmas, my brother and I were sitting on the living room floor playing video games, and I heard my dad come in from outside. He went into the kitchen, started talking to my mom, and I overheard him say, hey, honey, when are we going to assemble the bikes that we got the boys for Christmas? And I instantly turned to my brother, and I hit him. I said, you hear that? We're getting bikes for Christmas. And instead of doing what I should have done, what a smart kid would have done, and just going back to playing video games and keeping that secret, I ran into the kitchen, said, hey, Dad, did I just hear you say bikes? Are we getting bikes for Christmas? Because my dad couldn't lie for anything. He just, in an instant, got so furiously angry that the big surprise, the big gift for us that year was now spoiled. And I felt awful for ruining the surprise. And so for the next couple of days, up until and including Christmas morning, there was this tense mood in the house. I cried for days as a kid, thinking that I had ruined Christmas. And that's the first year I can remember looking back, thinking, you know what? Some of the wonder of Christmas started to fade. Now, as an adult, you know, I, I have a tendency to be maybe a little bit lazy when it comes to what I would classify as unnecessary work, all right? Now, <laughs> I don't want to rob my boys of, you know, the wonder and the joy of Christmas just because I've become somewhat of a Scrooge, all right? Now, I overstate that a little bit, but as I said, anything that requires work for me and work that is unnecessary I'm not a huge fan of. And for example, what I'm talking about here is pulling out the totes and totes and totes of decorations that are going to be out for a month before you have to put them all away. So literally pull out 15 totes from the basement in the crawl space, bring them all out, decorate the whole house, right? Then take the totes back downstairs. And then a month later, pull all the totes back out, repack everything, and then take them back downstairs again. Why? Let's just, our house is decorated beautifully. Or, you know, putting together our 25-year-old artificial Christmas tree that goes together branch by branch by branch by branch. And you have to fluff every branch as you build. Or my personal favorite, or should I say least favorite, hanging Christmas lights. How many of you hang Christmas lights on the outside of your house? Raise your hands. All right, I hate all of you guys. It's because of people like you that my kids, when we're driving down the road, see the pretty lights and say, Daddy, can we put lights on our house? And I try to give them excuses for why we don't need to do that because it's not about the lights, people. It's about Jesus is the reason for the season. But they've been begging me, especially this year, and so I finally caved. And we just moved back to the Buffalo area from Columbus where we were living for the last four years. And we used to have these icicle lights, but after the move, I couldn't find them anywhere. And so I took my boys, packed them in the car, and we went off to Dave's Christmas Superstore. And I dropped $105 on three stupid strands of outdoor Christmas lights. And it looks pathetic. 
I mean, this stuff costs a small fortune. I don't have the money to create this winter wonderland scene that some people do on the outsides of their home. We've got one rope light across the gutter and then two more silly ones on, on the bushes. It, it, it's awful. <laughs> it costs a fortune, though, and maybe, you know what, maybe that's why the wonder has left some of you for Christmas. All of the money that we spend year after year every Christmas, right? Instead of being grateful for all of the people that are around you at Christmas time or around your table at Christmas dinner, all you see are dollar signs over everybody's head. I spent 50 on you and 100 on you. <laughs> and, you know, you have the pressure of trying to outdo the gift that you got them last year, or you want to make sure that they didn't spend more on you than you did on them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The, the money part of it has just kind of taken all the joy out of it. But what was it for you? You know, we all have different things that cause us to lose that childlike wonder. Maybe it's when your parents got divorced and you had to spend Christmas Eve at mom's and Christmas Day at dad's or alternate every other year. Kind of loses the appeal of Christmas when you're getting passed around like that. Or maybe it's just the sense of lack that you're forced to face at Christmas time. Lack of money, lack of a job, lack of healthy family relationships. You know, maybe you have no children left at home and they don't visit or call as much as you would like them to. Or maybe your relationship with your children is strained or non-existent. Christmas is supposed to be a time of wonder and cheer and giving, but when you see the picture-perfect posts that people put out there on social media of their seemingly perfect lives, the wonder gets sucked out of Christmas as you compare your life to theirs. And you know, that's one of the reasons I kind of hate social media. It's a, it's a love-hate thing because, you know, you compare your life story with what amounts to just a scene from somebody else's. You realize there's more to the story than just the scene you're looking at, right? Not everything is as it appears. Don't compare your life story with their scene. What else could it be that loses the wonder? Maybe you went to college and a professor told you that the Bible is just a collection of stories. It's not really real. It's not reliable. It's not accurate. And so the story of Christmas becomes just that, a story, a fairy tale, and the wonder fades. Or maybe it was unanswered prayers. Maybe you used to believe in God, but you prayed for something that didn't come to pass. Maybe you prayed for a sick loved one to be healed, mom, dad, grandparent, and they didn't get healed, and they died. Maybe they died right around Christmas time, and so Christmas every year for you is just a reminder of loss, and of how God disappointed you. Maybe you prayed for years and years for a child, longing to cradle and hold a baby in your arms. But the pain of infertility is one that is still very present with you because you've, God has not answered that prayer for you. There's a lot of reasons that we lose the wonder for Christmas. And even if you do still have the wonder of Christmas, even if it's your favorite season with the turkey and the trimmings and the gifts under the tree and fun with friends and family and holiday parties to go to, it's still easy 
to lose sight of what and who it's really about. So I think we need to figure out how to relive the wonder. Because wonder reignites our faith. Wonder asks us to live with eyes wide open to God. Wonder would have us live and experience life the way God wants us to, because Jesus, the very person whose birth we celebrate right now, would grow to a man who would say, I have come to give you life, and that you would have it more abundantly. It's why Jesus came, to give us abundant life. And so if you're here and you're not experiencing abundant life, then we need the story of a baby born in Bethlehem that shocked the ancient world to be born anew in us, to renew the childlike sense of wonder that has long since faded under the responsibilities of becoming an adult. So how do we relive the wonder then? I think we need to take some time to truly consider the unlikely arrival of Jesus and how he came and why he came. Because his birth points to his purpose. The uniqueness of how he came testifies to who he is, what he's about, and why he came. Think about it. That story we just read. First of all, why in the world would God choose to impregnate an unmarried teenage girl? Why? Did God not realize the calamity that this was going to bring Mary? How misunderstood she was going to be? You think anybody believed her story that the child that was growing in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit? I doubt it. She would be shunned. She'd be ridiculed. She'd be misunderstood, called all sorts of names. You know, one night stand, how misunderstood she would be and how misunderstood and dismissed Jesus would be when he would grow up because of what people believed about how he was conceived. You could imagine the names that he was called, illegitimate. God, why create the controversy? Why give the opportunity to be misunderstood, to be maligned, to be marginalized? God, why did you do it this way? Because that's what he's about. Even in his conception, even before he was born, how Mary was misunderstood and how Mary was marginalized and how Mary would be maligned and later how he would be maligned testifies to who he is and who he came for. His birth declares that he understands the misunderstood. Have you ever been misunderstood? If you haven't, you were just born yesterday. We've all been misunderstood. How about marginalized? You ever been maligned? Jesus understands. He understands those who have been misunderstood because he put himself in a situation where he could relate with and empathize those who would continually be misunderstood. Then there's the issue of there being no room for them in the end. What is that all about? God, can you not find a better place for your son to be born than in a stable or more likely really a cave where animals are amidst mud and, and manure? The Son of God, the King of the universe, is born into that? What is that all about? Well, God is sending a message that even in his arrival, he accepts those who are left out. There was no room for Jesus in the end. And maybe you're here tonight, and you have felt that there's no room for you, that you don't fit in anywhere. Jesus accepts you. And then... The first people that hear about this glorious news are shepherds. 
Shepherds. Why appear to shepherds first and not royalty, not people of influence? Shepherds were uneducated and unclean. Shepherds couldn't go to the synagogue. synagogue. By Jewish ceremonial law, they were not allowed to go to church. Shepherds weren't accepted. They had no social life. The only friends a shepherd had were other sheep and other shepherds. Shepherds were socially inept. They were low lives. They were despised. And so what is the message here? That Jesus has come to accept the despised. The shepherd language goes throughout this passage. It said that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And if you don't know anything about the Bible or the Old Testament, David is one of the most iconic figures in all of Jewish history. He was seen as an Old Testament savior, an Old Testament redeemer, deliverer. He was the greatest king in Israel's history, but you know what he was before he became king of Israel? He was a shepherd. And scriptures tell us that David was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he had a heart like God's. He had a shepherd's heart. He empathized. He had compassion. You know, shepherds don't have very much, but what they do have, namely sheep, they protect. Shepherds were known, if you study ancient literature in this time of history, in this part of the world, shepherds were known to literally circle their flocks throughout the night to protect them from the elements and from predators if there were no natural barriers. That's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 11, said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus did. He came to humanity. We're his sheep. He's our shepherd, protecting, caring, loving, circling us. He gave his life for us. And so to illustrate this, I've asked the band to come up and play a pretty well-known tune that I think you'll recognize the melody to, but it's been given a Christmas twist with the lyrics. So I want you guys to just sit back and let the words of this song just kind of wash over you and let the wonder of Christmas come back. His birth declares that he understands the misunderstood. He accepts those who are left out. He accepts the despised. And in conclusion, there's also the issue of the angelic announcement itself. First one angel appears, and then a host of angels appear with it. And what do they say to the shepherds in this glorious announcement? What do they say, verse 14? Glory to God in the highest. In other words, God is higher than any God. God is above all kings. God, glory to God in the highest of heavens. And notice, we're going to go from the highest of heavens all the way down to earth. Glory to God in the highest where God came all the way down to earth. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, you may have grown up hearing that verse a little bit different. You might be more familiar with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that's what so many people think, and that's what people think Christmas is about. Peace and goodwill to everyone. And I don't want to burst your Christmas bubble here tonight, but that's not really a good treatment of the original text, the original language. That's not what the angels said to the shepherds in that moment. What they actually said was, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, if you're anything like me, instantly 
There's a question that comes to my mind in that moment when I hear that is, well, who was he pleased with then? This is the zenith moment of, of the announcement of Jesus' birth. And what we grew up hearing in plays and productions and movies and such that seemed so inclusive when we first heard it, peace, goodwill toward men, now all of a sudden seems so exclusive. Peace to those among whom he's pleased. Well, how then can I be pleasing to God? How is this good news? This is the message of Christmas. Because up until this point, there was only one way to please God. Up until this baby was born in a stable in Bethlehem, there was only one way to please God, only one way to put a smile on his face, only one way to experience his pleasure, and that was by adhering fully, perfectly, and completely to God's law. Well, if that's the case, we must all be doomed then because no one has ever adhered perfectly and completely to God's law. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all done things wrong. But that's the wonder of Christmas because this baby is announcing a new day, a new era, a new everything. And that's why the angels came and said this to shepherds who were incapable of keeping the law. They were declaring that God's pleasure was now available to them and is now available to us and to you. How can this be? Because that baby that was born to them that day would grow up to live a perfect life. He would live the life that no man or woman has ever been able to live since, up until that point or since. He would fulfill every demand of God's perfect law. And then at the end of his life, he would die the death that you and I should have died, a sinner's death. The arrival of Jesus forever answers the question, what does God feel about me? What does he think about me? Because John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, he loved everyone, that he gave his one and only son. He loves us. He wants to be near us. That's why he's called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now all of humanity has its opportunity. If we will simply trust in a baby born in a cave in Bethlehem, we now are accepted before God because he sent his son to die in our place. This announcement declares to me that God favors the powerless. Because I don't know about you, but I am powerless when it comes to trying to live a perfect life according to the law. Powerless. We're going to make New Year's resolutions in a couple days. And probably by January 4th, most of those will be broken. And we'll be reminded once again that we are powerless to do, do, to do anything for ourselves. And that's the wonder of Christmas. To all who are powerless to all who are misunderstood, to all who are marginalized, to all who've been maligned, to all who have been left out, to all who have been rejected, to all who have failed, to all who are weak, to all who are sinful, to all who are prideful, to all who are malicious, to all who are selfish, to all, to all, God's pleasure is now available to you. So how do we please God? The Bible says that it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is trusting in and believing in the baby born in Bethlehem. God's pleasure is not to those who have power. God's pleasure is not to those who have lived a perfect life. His pleasure is to those who realize they can't do it on their own. And they choose instead to trust in his son 
The simple act of trusting in Jesus is what makes you pleasing to him. That is the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas is the message of Christmas. And the message of Christmas is the gospel, which means good news. The good news that God sent his son Jesus to be born in a manger. The good news that Jesus came for us, but he didn't stay in a manger. That was just a scene. There's more to the story. It says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He opened blind eyes. He caused the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He came to triumph in this life. He came to live a sinless life, a perfect life, a selfless life. And then he would give his life as a sacrifice by hanging on a cross for us. And they would put his body into a borrowed tomb. But that was just a scene. There's more to the story. Because he didn't stay in that tomb. He got up three days later. And the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Resurrection is what makes the news good. It's good news. To relive the wonder of Christmas, we can't just look at the scene at the stable. We've got to consider the whole story if you've lost the wonder of Christmas. Don't just think about a baby in a manger. Think about the life he lived and the death he died and the fact that over 500 people saw him come alive again after he was put in that tomb. It's not just a story. It's not just a fairy tale. It really happened. That's the wonder of Christmas. He lived the life we couldn't live. And he died the death we should have died. And he did it all because he loves us. And he wants a relationship with us. That is the wonder of Christmas. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up just like you guys will. And we're going to open presents. We're going to eat lots of stuff that's probably really bad for us. But the greatest gift I'll have tomorrow and every day of my life is realizing that because of a baby born in a manger... And because I've chosen to place my trust and my faith in him, I can experience peace in life and know that he is pleased with me. He's pleased with us. That's Christmas. God's pleasure can be towards us. There's nothing more wonderful than that because where his pleasure is, his peace is, his wholeness, his favor, his forgiveness... Is there anything more wonderful than that? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment? In a time of privacy and concentration, I just want to pray as we close this out. Jesus, thank you so much that you loved us so much that you would leave the glory of heaven, the glory of your Father, to put on flesh and bone, to experience what we experience in this life, to be associated with people who would misunderstand you and would malign you and would you be able to identify with hurt and loss. You became one of us and you lived a perfect life and you allowed yourself to be hung on that cross for us. Jesus, thank you so much. If you're here right now in this moment and you would say, you know what, Pete, I, I want to experience that peace. I, I don't have any peace in my life. I've been trying to fill this, this void in my life with all sorts of different things, but nothing has worked. If that's you here today, 
and you want to say yes to following Jesus Christ, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And I want you to repeat these words with me after, after me in your heart. And it's not about the specific words I say. But the Bible does say that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. There's an importance to confession that you use your mouth to, to proclaim that you are following Jesus. So if you want a relationship with him, just say this after me. Jesus, I believe that you came from heaven to earth, that you were born in a manger. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you died on the cross. And I also believe that you rose again three days later. I believe you did that all because you love me. Lord, I want to experience your peace and your pleasure. I invite you now to come into my heart and live in me. And Jesus, help me to live for you from this moment forward, the rest of my life. Help me to follow after you, to live life the way you say I should live it, because I want to be pleasing to you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Come live in me. In Jesus' name, amen.